Let's just pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are such a great God and that you are a loving God. And each and every person in this world matters and is seen and cared and loved for by, by you. Lord, we think about the children out at their programs just now and we ask your blessing upon them and that they would come to know you while they're still young and learn to walk in your ways. And for us adults in here, Lord, we know that your word is a living word. We pray that it would speak to us in fresh ways this morning and that we would leave this place not just the same, but changed more into the likeness of your precious son, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his mighty and matchless name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, and you can probably hear from my accent, which is still quite strong, even though we've lived in Australia for over 20 years, I grew up in the UK, and my dad worked at a teacher training college. And back in the day, there was a lot of talk about when my sister and I grew up, you know, there there would be much more leisure time for people, that people would no longer be working a five-day week. And, uh, and so his teacher training college was devising all these courses called things like leisure management. And they'd already started them, and they were very popular. And for me as a girl, I was one of those kids, I was really never that keen on school, to be perfectly honest. I would much prefer to have just stayed at home. So I was thinking, this sounds great. I'm looking forward to this future where, you know, the weekend is the, uh, is the work bit of the week and the, the week length will be when we have all this leisure time. Well, I don't know whether that discussion was happening in Australia as well, but I kind of think, well, whatever happened to all of those ideas? Because if anything, people seem to be busier than ever, don't we, in the, in the 21st century. And as technology has increased in the workplace, it actually hasn't, doesn't seem to have freed up time at all. People are reporting working longer hours than ever. And also, have you noticed the way being busy seems to have almost become a bit of a, a status symbol in a sense, that you ask somebody how they are and they say, oh, I've been terribly busy. And, and, and you know, I do it myself. And studies have actually affirmed this. That there's a lot of research into this area that we're living in a culture that's saying, do more with less, with less time. And every year, Deloitte's do a, sub, a, a study into our use of smartphones here in Australia. And this year's study reveals that we're now spending, on average, five hours a day on our mobile phones. Well, why are we doing that? And the answer is that in a culture that values busyness, we feel that we have to be in touch with people all the time. We have to be accessible to work emails and so on, texts and all these things that encroach on our time. And most people, including myself, would admit that we're using our phones far too much. And most people are trying to do something about that, but they're struggling with it because we're actually quite addicted to our phones. And the, cons the, the, you know, the consequences of all this constant busyness are beginning to build up. And our health and wealth wellness is near the top of the casualty list. It's reported that 60% of employees across Australia are highly stressed. And the reason that they're giving is their workload, that they're overloaded and feel constantly busy. And this is one of the, the chief culprits to feeling highly stressed. So we're living in an age of what the researchers are calling freneticism. I wonder if that reflects what your life is like. Always on, always busy. 
And of course, it's affecting our sedentary levels as well because we're in, in front of screens at work, we come home, we're in front of them in our lounge room, we're even propped up in bed half the time looking at screens. And so we've become like statues and it's actually going to be shortening our lifespans in the future. And as somebody who's always worked with children, in fact, I've just spent the last couple of days down in Warmber at the um, WA Kids Conference thing, and I went to an elective about the impact of technology on our children, and DME, it's really challenging for parents in the age that we're living in. I don't envy young parents in this area at all. So the, it, it's challenging. And this guy, Don Pontefract, who's a researcher in this area, says it's time to rethink how busy we've become. It's time to rethink our thinking in this cult of busyness. One of the things that we lose when we are overly busy is our compassion and our time for those who, who are struggling and need help. We fail to hear the cries from those around us. And I have to admit, I do this myself. Obviously, now I'm in this new role. I'm not at my home church all that much. But just recently, I was. I saw somebody in the foyer that I know is going through a really difficult time at the moment. I should have made time to have a coffee with her. I hadn't done it. So over I go, hello. Oh, I've been very busy. You know, using it really as an excuse. But actually, it's just not good enough, is it? Because as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to love as he loves. And perhaps you can think of a time when you've rushed past somebody in need. You might have heard this week that it's actually been homelessness week in Perth over the last week, and there's been a lot of talk about it, particularly on Sunshine Radio. And it's challenged me afresh. It's good to be challenged. What do I do when I walk past a homeless person? Do I give them dignity and make conversation with them and speak to them? Or do I rush past embarrassed and it's all too much of an inconvenience uh, intruding on my busyness? <clears throat> but being overly busy is not how God created us to be. We are made in his image. You know, God is love. The Bible tells us that. He doesn't have love. He is love. It's his very nature. And he calls us to be loved because he, we are his appointed representatives on earth. So when we open up our gaze and stop being so tunnel visioned and so overly busy, we can actually see God at work in so many ways around us. And in his grace and amazing mercy, he invites us, the busy clay pot brigade, to get in on what he is doing, to partner with him. And as we do that, these amazing stories of hope begin to unfold. We're going to look at our passage now, which comes from a day when Jesus is having a really, really busy day with multiple demands on his time. It's a very well-known passage, you'll recognize it, but I really encourage you to try and listen um, with fresh ears this morning and look at how Jesus becomes part of the stories of the people that he encounters. <clears throat> so it's Mark 5, uh, verses 21 to 34. <coughs> Sorry. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders, a man called Jairus, came 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and the large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples asked, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, at the time when these, this story happens, Jesus was at the pinnacle of his popularity. Remember that he lived in a time where there was very limited medical knowledge, um, no access really to healthcare, and so the news would have spread round the countryside so quickly that this healer was in the neighborhood, and of course that was one of the reasons he was so incredibly popular. And he and his disciples were finding it very difficult to get away and have any time to themselves. <clears throat> the passage opens with him beside the lake, swarmed again by people. But despite these enormous demands on his time and his energies, we see him stopping to help people. He responds graciously to them in their need because he was probably about to start teaching. That's what Jesus did when the crowds came around him. He stopped and he began to teach them. But despite that, when Jairus approaches him and falls at his feet, with this desperate story of his dying daughter, Jesus's immediate response is to go with him. <laughs> but of course, the crowd comes along too. And in the midst of this chaotic scene, this random woman pushes through the crowd, wanting to touch him. And she doesn't want to be seen. She desperately wants to stay anonymous. But what she does actually interrupts Jesus because he knows that power has gone out for him. So just imagine that scene. He's on his way with a desperate father to attend to a little girl who is dying. What could possibly be more important than that? You know, what, what might you have done in that situation? Would you have pressed on and ignored this inconvenient uh, interruption on the time? You know, again, when I think about myself, I'm very much a, a to-do list person. My husband loves it. <laughs> I have this list of jobs. And I've got a neighbor at the moment whose husband has been ill with cancer and it's flared up again and she's going through a really difficult time. And so when she comes and knocks at my door because she needs to chat, I have to ask myself, what's my response to that interruption when I'm halfway through my to-do list? Because it's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? 
How good am I at handling interruptions to my schedule? Do I see interruptions as sabotage or do I see them as opportunities and the Holy Spirit is at work in a situation and wanting me to give up my time so that I can join in with what he's doing? Well, we know, don't we, the Gospels are full of it. Jesus was always coming across people in desperate need and he saw them as an opportunity to reach out with God's love. He didn't see this woman as an inconvenience at all. She was a welcome interruption, even though he was doing something else which was urgently and hugely important. Now, we could ask ourselves, is global poverty and the fact that 836 million people around the world are still living in extreme poverty, is that just an inconvenient truth uh, and an inconvenient interruption to my comfortable lifestyle here in Australia. Since the, uh, I've got a picture here of a family, this was taken in the Philippines, um, in a remote area of the Philippines, and this little family has spent the day collecting those bunches of plantains or bananas or whatever they are, and the woman that took the photograph said they're now at the market and they're going to sell those huge bunches for the equivalent of uh, Australian 40 cents. And that 40, the 40 cents and so on, will buy their rice for the day, which of course is the staple. If you look at the woman, that's not their grandmother. That's their, their, those children's mother. Um, she's aged beyond her years because of the hard work. She will never have gone to school. And without help, those children will never go to school. They will, leave that, they will lead that hand-to-mouth existence for the rest of their fairly short lives. That really brings it home to me. Since the turn of the century, the Millennium Development Goals were set by the United Nations and with the work of agencies like Baptist World Aid, certainly positive gains have been made, actually huge gains. Infant mortality has dropped dramatically, which is a really good thing. But there's still so much work to be done. You know, the video that we watched of our friend Johnson from Uganda really brought it home to me because our son, who is um, turning 28 later this year, but a couple of years ago, he lives down in Albany. <coughs> Excuse me. He'd just driven across to Denmark, and we're praising God that it didn't happen while he was in the car. But he had what would be described as a full-on epileptic seizure which has never happened before. He was unconscious for a couple of minutes. It's a very serious episode. Um, but he had brain scans. He's still under, you know, he's being monitored and so on. And it really brought it home with Johnson's story. That, that It's not that that little boy can't be treated. It was that the family couldn't afford the medicine to treat him. And how awful that would be if that had been my son, our precious boy my only son. And around the world, sorry, I get very moved by this stuff, 1,400 young children today will die of diarrhea. Now, if a child or a person gets diarrhea in Australia, you go off to the chemist and you buy something over the counter, and within a couple of days, they're back to health. But we actually have over half a million deaths in the world 
that could be treated by a simple remedy. And as we gather here today, one in nine people in the world are actually undernourished, and by the time they end their day tonight, wherever they're going to bed, whether it's on a mat or wherever, they will end their day hungry. And this is the global reality in the 21st century, when we're supposed to be so sophisticated with all this technology and everything we have. And it's very easy to leave the stats out there and impersonalize them and get back to our mobile phones and our busyness. But behind the statistics are real people with real stories to tell. You've probably seen the horror that's still unfolding in Syria. Oh, those poor people. Have you seen it on the news this week? Parents carrying the corpses of their children out of bombed buildings where only civilians are living. Now, one of the great things about working for Baptist World Aid is that so we have our partner organizations on the ground in Lebanon working with the refugees there. And one of our team has just come back to Australia. And he said that, you know, people are fleeing from their, for their lives over the border into Lebanon. And just like here, people don't want refugees. They're an unwelcome interruption. But there is a slum, uh, a community of Lebanese people who've lived in a slum dwelling for about 20 years. And they have so little themselves. But they are the group that have opened up their homes and what they have to these people. And my colleague expressed that the whole team has been overwhelmed by the sense of God's presence in that place, in that slum. It was overwhelming the sense of love and hope in that most unlikely place. And there has to be a lesson for us in that because by embracing the plight of the poor and the desperate and the unwanted, we get to be Jesus's love as we reach out. So to get back to the story of the woman pushing through the crowd to touch Jesus, such was her desperation that she was willing to do that even though she was unclean with this gynecological problem that she had. She shouldn't even have been out in public and she certainly shouldn't have been touching people because she was making them unclean as well. As for Jesus, he's rushing off desperately to uh, Jairus' house when this random interruption occurs. And can you imagine Jairus actually thinking, Jesus, my daughter is dying. You've got to come now. And I get it. You know, we can sympathize, can't we? After all, this woman's been sick for 12 years. Can't she just wait a bit longer? Can't she wait for a more convenient moment? And yet Jesus, on the run, stops to help this lady who has a crisis of her own. And what we see is not just a miraculous and life-changing miracle, but the sheer spontaneity of Jesus' love pouring out like living water. His busyness was not an excuse to ignore the poor. And in the same way, when we have eyes to see, there are opportunities for us to be loved and to engage with people every single day of our lives. And this is why it's so great to be part of a church community because we're able to get around each other and help each other when the trials and tribulations of life come along, which they inevitably do. My husband and I are in a home group and when someone's sick, we make meals, we pray, and it's such a blessing. 
But we've got to be so mindful, and I know talking to Garth earlier that this church is already doing this with, with many of the things that you're engaged with, but we have to move out beyond the walls and reach out into the community. Because in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, so that's at home, to the people around you, in all Judea and Samaria, that's your community, and to the ends of the earth, and that's the people living in global poverty overseas. There's a needy community all around us, often crying out for help in a society that is just too busy to hear. We probably all know people who are struggling and doing it tough at the moment, unemployed, a work colleague uh, who's struggling, illness and all of that. There's always people that we can help and, uh, in our own community. And so maybe you do have the capacity to sponsor a child like Johnson so that not just he, but his whole family and his community will have the dignity of stepping into everything that God has intended for them and it will allow them to thrive. Perhaps you could help with a disaster appeal for people like the Syrian refugees or the Rohingyas in Bangladesh. There is no shortage of people around the world who are fleeing for their lives at the moment. Perhaps you could be more determined to shop ethically so that by doing that you are actually speaking up for those who are being exploited in the production of goods for Western nations like Australia. We can all engage at some level when we get off our busyness bandwagon. The Lord Jesus, he identified with the poor and needy. He stepped into the stories of the people who nobody else had any time for. And instead of rushing off, he engaged with this woman, actually an outcast, ostracized by her own community because of her illness, and she really represents people today who are afflicted and stuck in poverty, unseen, unheard, unwanted, and powerless, but longing for things to change. That's what I saw in Nepal. Just because people are poor, it doesn't mean they don't have hopes and dreams, and it doesn't mean those children who have no opportunity to go to school don't have hopes and dreams. And that's what Johnson's expressing. When I grow up, you know, I want to be able to build a better home for my family. That's a wonderful thing. And when Jesus feels the touch of this woman, he gave her his full attention as if she's the only person there in that huge crowd. And this is personal engagement at its very, very best, modeled by the master. And what an encouraging thought it is for you and for me that Jesus is never too busy for any of us. You are precious in his sight. We've created this mad, over-busy society, which is increasingly impersonal. You know, you can shop online at the click of a button. You can do your banking online. You don't have to talk to anyone these days. But Jesus, he wanted to listen to her story. He almost prized it out of her, didn't he? Because remember, this could be the first time that this woman has spoken to anybody in many, many months. She was an outcast. And so the challenge for us is, are we prepared to listen to the stories of the poor and to respond to them? Because with our help, these stories can actually become ones of, of hope. 
And as I've talked to you, when I went up to Nepal and I saw two communities, one where our partners on the ground have been working for nine years, they're about to withdraw because the community is thriving, it will go on into the future with children going to school, um, being safe from trafficking and all these different things, a, a, a picture of hope, people not worrying where their next food is going to, their next meal is going to come from. And the second area we went to, the work was only uh, about to begin, it hasn't started yet. And what a depressing day that would have been if we hadn't seen the change that the work makes. So people respond to this love. Nepal is a Hindu nation. Um, you're not actually openly allowed, it's illegal to proselytize, you can't speak the gospel. And yet when people go in, our Christian partners, with the love of Christ in practical terms, people want to know, especially Dalit people who have had worthlessness spoken over them, they want to know, why are you doing this? And so the gospel is going out powerfully in Nepal, and there was only seven Baptist churches eight years ago, and now there's over 500 across the nation of Nepal. It's, it's powerful. Loving people is powerful. And, it, of course, it was Jesus that made the words famous, love your neighbor as yourself. But it actually comes from the Old Testament law in Leviticus. But he lives it out. This woman mattered to Jesus. Um, and not only was her dignity and her place in society restored, but she underwent a spiritual awakening. And that's what we see through our work, which is not overly speaking the gospel, because we're not allowed to in a lot of the countries that we work in, but it's about loving people and caring for them. And so in the same way that Jesus asks us to step into the stories of others and to step out of our busyness and self-focused society, which we've created for ourselves... When we take our cue from Jesus, we really can be love. And I would like to finish just by challenging us, and including myself in this, who might be trying to grab onto your garment today? Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, which is timeless and speaks through the generations, regardless of where we are at to or what is going on in our society. We thank you that you so beautifully modeled caring for people and that you saw people, they mattered to you, they mattered desperately to you and that was the most important thing. So we thank you for that and we do pray, Lord, that as we go from this place today, you would challenge us in our own lives to look around us to get away from our busyness and our mobile phones and all the other distractions and to look holy spirit what you are doing where you are leading us to be love and help us to walk like the lord jesus did in your precious name we pray amen thank you